Welcome to Highly Functioning, a show about exploring, understanding, and optimizing the mind from a non-neurotypical lens. On this week's episode, we talk about feelings of Stockholm Syndrome within your friends and family. We explore cultural values and personal experiences that shape this feeling within us, and share our own stories about making the decision to go outside our own circles. Key concepts we talked about are how moving away from your family doesn't necessarily have to equate to cutting them off, and how a sense of community and individuality can coexist and do so in new ways. As always, thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcasting app. Follow us and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash highlyfunctioning. And if you like our content, consider supporting us at highlyfunctioning.ca. There, you'll find bonus content, Q&As, and be able to provide direct input on how you can change the show. Hey, folks. Hey, David. Hey, how's it going? Good, man. How are you? Good. We start all of our podcasts like that. I wonder if it's annoying to people. <laughs> I'm hoping it sort of becomes like a thing. Like, you know, those things that just randomly become like a, a cult following. That's my hope. But I feel like because I said that, it just kills the whole cult just following. It. Thing. But, uh, it's fine. It's fine. We'll, we'll try. Um, but on that note, um, what the topic for today is something that we've touched on a little bit before, but I think it warrants its, it warrants its own episode or at least short episode. Uh, and that's Stockholm syndrome as it applies to your friends and your family. And of course, um, in some cases, it's very much Stockholm syndrome. Uh, in some cases, it's it. And let me preface by saying Stockholm syndrome is um, to sort of paraphrase. It's the idea of you or the best example I can think of is if you're kidnapped or captured by someone, it's the example of over days, weeks, months, you sort of start to feel at home with them and you're like, okay, with the abuse and it sort of becomes your, it becomes your norm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're sort of stuck in that and you believe that's the way that things should be. Um, and it's a absolutely real phenomenon. And sometimes it's really like you have some very, very poor cases, but I do still think, even though it might sound a little controversial, it still applies um, to most people broadly in their friend groups and in their family, uh, family units. Um, so I'll stop there for a second. Uh, do you have any initial thoughts, opinions on, on this topic? Well, yeah, I def- I wanted to mention that probably some people will view like sort of because, you know, Stockholm syndrome is a real thing and kidnappers and this sort of thing. So like highlighting that, which, which I think like uh, you did a good job of covering. And, you know, one time comes to mind in particular for me of when it seemed like I, for some reason, wanted to leave certain friends, but couldn't. Um, and so like that sort of, I, again, you know, I wasn't kidnapped. I wasn't stuck there literally, but it felt like, you know, either because of momentum or something, I had a hard time removing myself. And I think often that's what happens with people and their families, right? Mm-hmm. They, they have this association of like, they can't leave. Um, but it's also interesting because I, I think some of it or much of it might be, or I, I suppose it is a psychological thing, right? It's there in their own heads. But I think like the interesting difference between sort of how we're using the term and what might be uh, the case in, in for like literal Stockholm syndrome is that they think they should have it sometimes, right? Like if someone's with their family and they feel stuck, they'll like almost tell themselves, no, 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 I should feel this way. That's how I'm supposed to feel where I would assume that uh, someone who's literally been kidnapped, they never think they should be feeling that association to their captor. Wow. Um, so I, I, I didn't think you'd uh, go in that, like I never looked at it sort of that way. Um, I was always under the impression that like, at least in 
at least in moments of where I've sort of felt it or seen other people, because um, I feel like when you're looking from the outside in, it's very easy to see that someone's stuck in a situation. Whereas when you're actually in it, you might be a little bit more, more oblivious. Um, but at least my initial thoughts to sort of piggyback yours is I think the biggest place is uh, the biggest place where it becomes a problem is in your family. And to talk about my own personal experience, um, I found that especially being a South Asian person where family values is so, uh, so important, um, it becomes very apparent because even myself, when there's things that might be going against my health or going against um, things that I need to be doing for my well, own well-being, uh, I will absolutely feel a sense of responsibility or a, a sense of having to consistently, um, almost thinking that like being consistently uh, relied upon or being okay with certain things, you just sort of meld to think that's okay. And I find in, in at least brown communities, it becomes very difficult because your whole entire uh, your whole entire community shuns you because you're like, what? Like family's forever. How could you push away your family? Um, and I find that um, specifically, I understand why people are so hesitant for it because like just to validate them, I guess, I find that your family is so important and a lot of people, it's very hard to step away from your family that, and different from how you can step away from your friends. Like it's easy to uh, cut off your friends or move away. Not easy, but it's easier to cut off your friends than to cut off your family. And like a cool statistic that I actually saw had to do with the fact that majority of the reason people end up homeless is for this specific reason. Um, some people leave poor situations that they're in when you talk about real, like full on abuse situations and things like that and end up homeless where they might even think, well, you know what, like if I have to choose between living in this screwed up household or fending for myself and ending up homeless, I totally understand why people feel as if you have to stay there and you just have to sort of work it through and uh, I guess knuckle drag your way through that situation. But so why do you consider it related to Stockholm syndrome? Because this is sort of, I would call it maybe a duty premise. You feel like you owe your family. Your culture tells you you do owe your family. Maybe you think in part you do owe your family. But why is it that you feel like you're captured by them, right? Like, why do you feel like for them specifically that they're holding you there for some reason? Well, just to, I guess, be fully with full context, I don't um, feel it. I felt it before, but I, I want to make sure like people know I'm not in an abusive household and like things like that. So I'll put that disclaimer out there. Um, but to answer your question directly, the I find that the reason why you sort of feel captured is because, or or why it relates to Stockholm syndrome is because you sooner or later feel that the poor ways or poor cultural traditions or poor um, things that have been passed on in your family are okay, and that's just that's just the way things that that's just the way things are. It's like. And this might be a really poor example and might be off-putting, but it's like, it's that whole like daddy issues thing, right? Or where daddy issues are like, if someone didn't grow up with, grow up with a good father figure, it affects them. And then they then feel like the, when someone else treats them poorly or they grew up in a poor household, that's how they think the world should be. Um, I sort of related to that sort of idea of use, use after living with your family or living with your friends that treat you a certain way, you look at it and say, I would rather this than the opposite scenario or I would rather stay here and have to deal with this thing because I feel like this is the way it's going to be. And this is the way it's going to be, regardless of if I find a new family or a new friend group. Okay, so that makes a little more sense to me. That clarifies it because 
yeah, there's this sense of comfort, of acceptance. And then if you're going, if you're going to reject the family in particular, or even like a comfortable friend group, then it's like, well, what is out there, right? And that's sort of how it associates with Stockholm syndrome is like, if you've been captured for six months, or like you hear of people who've been in cults and stuff, and it's like, you know, but they, they don't want to deal with the unknown, right? They don't want to put themselves at risk, even though this isn't ideal and they know it wasn't initiated properly. It, there's a comfort there. There's a security there. And so I think that sort of makes sense. To me, the essential though is, is basically it's individualism or independence versus like collectivism or the group, right? And, and so most people in terms of their actual experience, that is often for their family, right? You can't leave the family. You can't be separate from the family, right? And, and I mean, I experienced that. I didn't, I basically left most of my family behind. I didn't really talk to them for a while. I didn't talk to my mom for a year and a half and it was scary. And it also like it, the ones I did want to engage with, it was almost like, no, but you're a traitor, right? Like mm -hmm. you're a traitor. And so you were saying even like in your community, the, the broader community would, uh, like label you, you out, right? You're a tra How dare you uh, betray your parents, right? And I think, like in Judaism, that's sort of true too. Your parents are supposed to be like. There's no limits to how much you should give to your parents. They birthed you, right? Whereas my view isn't that, right? Like I very much do view family. I I very much view family as sort of akin to friends, right? And I mean, obviously, there's you have to have a bigger context, right? They've been lifelong friends. They've given you lots of value, but there's no sort of difference in kind where many people do think like, you know, blood is thicker than water or whatever. And that's why for me, the actual hardest group, it was harder for me to sort of leave behind one of my friend groups than it was for me to leave behind my family. Um, I mean, I didn't leave my family behind as such, but like, I think, you know what I mean? Like in terms of actually creating that separation and venturing out on my own, so to speak, because to me with the family, there was a lot more negative as well. So mm -hmm. in terms of just like an, if I could take a more objective framing to it, there was a lot of negative and positive. Whereas with the friends, there wasn't that much negative, right. But mm -hmm. I still wanted to go out separate from them and reassess and this sort of thing, right? Like see the world. And then I can always decide to come back if I, if I decided that's the right thing. Hmm. Um, one of the, and so let, let me ask you this, what was the first things that you did to um, sort of break away from your family or break away from that friend that was so difficult? So with the, with my family, it was sort of like I stopped going to family gatherings, right? Like with, with the bigger family, I, I stopped talking to my mom and then I, I explicitly told her we were no longer talking, right? Mm -hmm. And that sort of rubbed some of my other family members the wrong way, right? I would, I would hear regularly about how, like, how could you do that, right? And then like even insecurity on their part um, like I had them, it was sort of, I think from a place of confusion and fear, like, cause they had basically always heard that if someone were to do something like this, they're probably a bad person. And yet they didn't assess me as being a bad person in their own judgment, but mm -hmm. then I didn't, I didn't act for the family primarily. Right. 
Um, but to me, I just started really focusing on myself and my values and my family was one of those things. And so it more so just became, you know, I didn't go to things when I quote should have gone to them because I had higher priorities. Right. Um, but I remember this even before I conceptualized it this way, I sort of had this view. I remember not going to my cousin's wedding, my first cousin's wedding and my Dad was like, this is unacceptable. And I was like, well, accept it. I'm not going. Like, I've not had a relationship with this person, right? Like, I have other things I'd rather be doing. I don't owe her anything. And like, it, it, it didn't make any sense to me. Um, and, and so, it, yeah, it's not that I more, I specifically did something to them. I just lived my life and they took it as an affront, right? Which is kind of how it goes, I think. Um, I just stopped prioritizing them with, with respect to the friends. Um, that was more tough because I was sort of in a low spot and they were the friends I had and it was sort of momentum and I didn't have any issues with them generally. Um, but it was like, almost like I was relying on them too much and I wasn't sure where they fit into my value hierarchy. And mm -hmm. I had, I literally left the province, right? Cause to me, and I was, I was frustrated at the time because I couldn't, sort of tease it apart while still engaging, right? Because I wanted the comfort. I wanted the sort of codependent, so to speak. I'm in a bad mood. Let's go there, right? And this sort of thing. So for me, I, I left so I could break it out, get distance, get clarity. Um, and I've not spoken to, or I've not hung out with that group in like a year and a half or something. And I'm finally now re-engaging with them because I do see the valuable parts and I do see how I can enjoy their company without sort of falling into habits and routines that I, that I'm unsatisfied with. I don't, um, yeah. I think you hit a very, very important point that I would, that was hoping would, would come out, which is that just because you decide to leave your friend group or, um, leave your, well, specifically for your friend group example, it doesn't have to be this like colossal drift that like you have a fight and you tell them, Hey, look, you're doing this wrong. And you sort of break apart. Sometimes it can just be a natural transition where you say, hey, like, and, and using my own personal example, um, my childhood friends that I grew up with, loved them to death. They were great. We had so much fun. It was all laughs. But um, as we started aging, we just like, at least I sort of found out that our interests didn't align as much. Uh, and so, of course, we could joke and we can have fun. But like the things that we wanted to pursue and when you talk about your value hierarchy, um, they just went in different directions. And it was never a, it was never a poor split. There was never a fight. There was never, never any of those things. And the same exact thing happened to me where we like met up a, a year or two later being like, Hey, like I miss all the great conversation we have. Let's like meet up and go out and do something. And we ended up like, we ended up, uh, we ended up having an amazing night. One of the best nights I've ever had. And I thought there, I'm like, Oh, like you don't have to cut your friend off. And like, Oh, like the classic saying of, you're, you're surround, like you are the five people around you. It's not like you have to hoard those five people and not let anyone in. Like you can totally, like we sort of try to meet up once every six months because we realize like, and I think it's like sort of an implicit realization that like, if we tried to like hang out every single week, we very easily find out that we wanted to do very different things. Mm -hmm. So it's not that like leaving your family or like, it's the idea of like, and to relate it back to Stockholm syndrome, it's not like, in Stockholm syndrome is that kidnapping example, right? Like you leave the captor and you never go back. Um, in this situation, it's understand who you want to be and don't let the friend groups around you define that. And just because you leave it doesn't mean you can never be interested in that thing again. 
Uh, yeah, so I have I have two and a half points. So one is like when I was in university and I was more concrete in my thinking, um, I did think like, oh, if you're not like if I, if our friendship's not growing exponentially, like we're not friends anymore. So like I used to Me think too. that Me way, too. right? Um, where it's like, <laughs> no, too. you can have friends who aren't the people you spend every day with, type thing. Um, but what I find interesting, the other point and a half that are related to bringing that into family and Stockholm syndrome is the issue often arises because your family members don't see it this way. Mm-hmm. They think that if you like sort of slow down or remove some of your engagement with them, that it's indicative of a total break, right? Mm-hmm. Because, oh, well, like you, you grew up with the same values as them, or they tried to give you the same values. And so there's, again, they wouldn't formulate it in this way, but there's this implicit view that, no, 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 we should have all of the same exact values. We were all raised together. We all literally have the same ecosystem. So Mm -hmm. who are you to think you're better than us? Who are you to think you're different than us and to leave the group? And because of that, that's what can kind of keep people stuck because then they believe that thing with respect to their family in particular. Oh, if I leave, then I do think I'm better than them or different than them or other than them or whatever it is, right? And so it's, it's this sort of interesting loop that keeps people trapped in, but I found it's because of the, the, the like people take it as this massive rejection, right? If and, they and, if they move from a higher part to a, 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 a lower or more moderate part. And you'll find this interesting. It is it is that times 10x, um, at, at least in the Tamil community. Um, like I don't know how familiar you are with the caste system, but like the caste system was this to its highest degree, where it's if you went outside the caste and married a caste that was different from you, it's you're ostracized from both sides of uh, both sides of like both, uh, I guess, systems or both different casts. Well, and now you're your own outlier. And it's like, it's one of those things where it is exactly the fear that I had talked about before, where it's now you fend for yourself. And if you go back and ask for help, it's like, you left the cast, so you're not coming back. And there's nothing you can do to get back into that situation. So like, I feel like even in the, like, at least for my own personal uh, being, I feel like it's so ingrained in people's heads um, just as a result of culture just passing on and on and on. And it's not, this, it's not to the same extreme now, thankfully. Um, but I, I like when you say those things, I'm like, oh my God, like it's so much worse on, <laughs> like I see like the worst, worst examples of that. And not to say yours, like I'm not trying to make a comparison or any of those things, but I think you, I, I thought you'd find it interesting that. Um, well, like so I, is- that's why I bring it back to sort of individualism versus collectivism, right? And the more Americanized, so to speak, a culture is the more individual they are, right? Because it used to be, oh, you can't marry outside your ethnicity or your religion or your culture, right? Oh, what do you mean you're an Irishman marrying an Italian, right? Like so many cultures still have that. But honestly, it seems to me as they become more, quote, westernized, they become more individual based. And then it doesn't matter what your sort of group identity is and was. But there's this comfort in group identity, stay in the group, we like, then we know what the rules are. We know what the culture is. You don't have to think for yourself and this sort of thing. And it's just as cultures develop uh, and become more individualistic, it seems to be that that dissipates over time. And I'm not I'm trying to be racist, racist or culturist or whatever, but like you see it sort of across the globe, like which cultures support individualism and, and have sort of that 
go off, figure yourself out, make something for yourself. And we don't care if you marry someone outside the caste or outside the religion or whatever it is versus like, you know, I have some Jewish friends who very much are like, are Jewish family members, how you cannot marry a non-Jew, right? You're mm-hmm. a blood trader if you marry a non-Jew, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's absurd to me, right? That's totally absurd to me. And so I can understand, especially if you're like, uh, like if I think your parents immigrated here, whereas I'm like third generation Canadian or something, right? So like, there's even just like a generational difference because of that. Whereas I know like growing up, my dad was like, no way you can marry a non-Jew. Cause like, mm-hmm. there was no way he could do that. But now it's like, who, who cares, right? And like, I know very few Jews my age who give a shit. Some do, mm-hmm. right? So it's like this interesting, so that's why I view it more as like, I view it as like the tribalism, collectivism type stuff. And uh, to your point, we just, we just put in new metrics. Like before it used to be Judaism or like um, a specific where you were born, but now it's like gym culture or like, you know, like coffee cult, like, you know what I mean? Like there's this like specific groups of people where you're, they're trying to foster, like before it was like your sense of community was when you went to church on Sundays or right. Or whatever religion that you practice. But now it's like, I feel like people are trying to get their own sort of like, I still think we have a certain um, well, longing for like a group of people and like, you know, that community aspect of those things. But I kind of like how now you can actually, and I partially, and maybe it's biased because I'm from here, but uh <laughs> I feel like that's the way it should be so that you can choose what you like and then you can choose the groups and you can curate those groups. It's yeah. not like you're going to have a guy who absolutely hates going to the gym, having to be forced to like, you know, go through workouts every single day. Right. Like if you look at it that you'd, you'd consider it batshit crazy, but yeah, you apply it to any other situation, supposedly it makes sense. But some people do end up like the biggest tribes right now are the political tribes, right? Are you a leftist or a rightist conservative or liberal or whatever it is? And, and then I, I, imagine people feel trapped in that as well. So I was, you know, a liberal, I was a left-wing person. Then I discovered Ayn Rand and it was like, I lost friends and some people wouldn't pursue their own interests, pursue what they think is right because they'd lose friends, lose family members. Imagine if your family, instead of it's like, you have to marry a Tamil person, it's, uh, what do you mean you voted for Trump or whatever it is, right? But like (laughs) some people, that's their experience. That's sort of right now the prominent thing. And that's why, you know, I like the idea of Stockholm syndrome still because it sort of focuses on the individual psychology and them, their difficulty of leaving that scenario. But mm-hmm. the sort of widest phenomenon is sort of tribalism. It's this comfort of not needing to be independent, relying on your group and like, oh, no matter what, you're accepted not for your virtues or values as a person, but just by the nature of the fact that you're a part of the group. And that's what many people find in their family and their oldest friends, but their family in particular, this idea of, quote, unconditional love, right? So, yes, we're not going to get into a whole thing on what love is. <laughs> is it unconditional or, or not? But people want this idea that no matter what kind of person they are, mm-hmm. there's someone who accepts them and loves them, even if they're shitty, right? And like, that's what is this comfort. And then, you know, the, if, I'm, if I'm kidnapped by someone probably the captor is not going to throw me out because I did something wrong. They, mm-hmm. I'm there. I'm safe there no matter what I do because they're literally a kidnapper, right? Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting sort of perspective uh, on the issue. Um, and it, it's funny you say that because right away, um, and it's funny is probably the wrong word, but right when you say that, automatically I go, I think about, uh, I think about uh, the, give me one quick second.
Sorry about that, David. No worries. Uh, just afraid it was an emergency. Um, but uh, when you think about that, I, I think uh, there was, it automatically reminds you of a, it's an offhanded joke that like I, me and a bunch of my Tamil friends make, which is there are so many um, Tamil families where like the parents have no business being together, but they've been, they've been conditioned by a culture so hard that like they, they themselves like will have a conversation about them not being able to together, but know that if they break apart, and pursue some level of like happiness um, with with another person, or just split themselves or split themselves apart. They know the backlash that comes from the rest of the family would be so large that's not worth it. And I've seen also family members, that sucks. That, and I've also seen family members where they look at a son who's done son or daughter who's done atrocious things, like things where like they do deserve it, like disowning, or they deserve for you to cut them off a bit so they can get their shit together, and they won't. Right. Because they're like, this is unconditional love. No family does this. And it's just like, wow, like you've broken apart so many of the other things that make you as a human being just to hold on to this piece of like family is forever. Or um, if you're in this group, this group does not push anyone out. Yeah. And I, and I mean, I think it's people's fear of needing to be worthwhile on their own. So they want to be accepted for who they are, no matter who that is. And, you know, it's it's just sort of sad, but there's a comfort in it. Right. Um, and for me to sort of break away from my mom in particular at the time, I mean, her and I have a good relationship now, but I had to think of it very explicitly. Okay, there is some amount of unacceptable behavior that I would be willing to cut her out of my life for, right? If she was an abusive, drunk, drug addict, I'd cut her out. So there is some limits in my view, right? Maybe in, in like these people's view or in the Tamil community, there would be no limits. But in mine, at least I realized, okay, there are some, mm -hmm. which then means I have to figure out exactly what mine are. And then I could figure it out from there. But I had to really kind of concretize it to make sure I, I agreed that there were some, whereas some people maybe honestly think there are none, which I think is the wrong view. I agree. Um, I don't think I can say any better than that. But um, one of the things I think, and I think the overarching I guess, thesis of what we're trying to say also is that if you do move out of these groups, these friend groups, these family groups, you will most often be okay. Uh, like it is often, and I, I almost argue it is always the right thing to do because being stuck in those situations is, is not healthy for you, it's not good for you, it doesn't allow you to live up to the potential that you want. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to give a quick like TLDR of my own story just to give people um, the, uh, I guess, the validation that it's possible. Um, and like, I ended up leaving my friend group and I ended up leaving um, what, what people said I should be doing in terms of my career, as well as like going against my family. And it was a huge, huge uproar. Like it was like, you're gonna end up and like not do well. Like there are some of the things I don't even wanna say on air that were said, right? And it was like, luckily I was lucky enough that an older brother who fought for me and said, hey, look, like I've been through this shit and this thing is atrocious. But after fighting through it and like not talking to people, like it got so bad at one point that like we wouldn't, I wouldn't have a conversation with my parents because I knew it would get into a fight. It was like, what's for food? Okay. Like we have to do these type of errands to continue functioning together as a, as a unit to survive. But other than that, nothing else was done. But after getting, getting some of the support, finding the groups of people and things like that, I found, and luckily for me, and of course, it's not the same thing for everybody. They came around and said, you know what? We were wrong. Like, like you did so much better doing this. And I don't want to, you know, toot my horn about things that I might've done well, but like, I was so fortunate and so happy that later on they came back and said, you know, and like the, 
and sorry, I'm like nerding out and I'm like super happy about it because it got so good that um, like I went to a, we went to a Tamil wedding, which is for anyone who's been to a Tamil wedding, it is like the biggest showmanship of all time. Like everyone's on their A game. Everyone cares about what they think and stuff like that. Um, and I told, I told, uh, I told an old lady uh, or a family friend of ours that I wasn't going to get married. And that is so faux pas in our culture. <laughs> and she was like, what? Like, are you kidding me? And then my mom, one of the most traditional people on the planet said, you know what? That actually might be a good idea. And I was like, what? Like you just came into the most <laughs> sacred institution uh, ever and you were able to change your mind. So like, I hope that sort of validates people in understanding that like, even at least in my own community, like of course for everybody at large, but I've seen it happen firsthand in my own community, but I still think there is a, there, there is a hill. There's a, once you get over that hill and once you ever go get over that hump, more often than not, I've seen it be good. Uh, I've seen good things happen because most yeah. of these people, like they've been conditioned by culture, but they still love their kids. Like they still absolutely want the best for them. They still have all the, like the parental love. It's just that sometimes they haven't been um, given the right value systems or sometimes cultures uh, might become very rigid and not let them be able to see the benefit in other things. And I wanted to hear your story because I know your story is uh, different, but had a similar conclusion, I guess. Well, so I, I mean, I've already shared most of it, right? Like, but what I was going to say in addition was like, my experience has been that as I've done that, as I've set off on my own, I found others doing the same thing, right? And like, that's this, and it's like, you get to choose your family. You get to choose who you spend the time with based on what you specifically value, not based on who you happen to be born near or in the same household as, or whatever it is, right? So, you know, I do have a pretty good relationship now with most of my family or the ones like my immediate family. I have, uh, like, I'm re-engaging with many of these friends and, and from a place where I feel like I'm not going to rely or become dependent on them. And in the past couple of years, since I've sort of set off on my own, I've managed to forge like quite a, quite a large number of very close relationships, right? Very good bonds um, with friends. And it's based, and they're so much stronger because they're based on who I am and who I choose to be, not based on the fact of luck that I was born next to them or something, or, mm -hmm. and, and also not based on uh, like, and I don't have to lie. I don't have to be inauthentic because they're choosing to be with me because of who I am. Right. And that's what people are scared of. They don't want someone who, who they want someone who just accepts them for who they are. But that also means they don't validate you for who you've chosen to be. Right. And it's so much more powerful to get recognition of the person you want to be and have chosen to be. And that's how you earn their respect and love. And mm -hmm. it's not just like, meaningless that they gave it to you because of the fact that you were born. Right. Mm -hmm. And so to me, all of my relationships have been healthier. I've lost a few, but they were the people who I was least comfortable with at the time anyways. Right. And it was only like, it was even like a second degree association because they also happened to be in the group. And I also think about like just the nature of sort of uh, my university experience, student politics, there's like a big tent and it like, you know, I had to be associated with a bunch of people because they were also part of the group, mm -hmm. right? So the group was accepting of anyone. So I had to be associated by the, the people I did like, you know, they accepted a bunch of people, including ones I really didn't like. And so, but we were all part of the group. So I was just supposed to accept them as well, right? And so I've just 
found it so much more fulfilling and satisfying to be doing what I'm doing. And, and it's, I'm not lonely. I'm, I'm less lonely than I've ever been because I actually feel like I'm being recognized for what I want to be recognized for. I love that. Um, the one question, and this one I was, I, I'm, uh, I'm really interested to hear your response um, is, do you have any regrets about how you did it? Like if you could, you know, have a time machine and go backwards. And I know you don't necessarily always like doing that, but if you had a time machine going backwards, is there something you're like, Hey, I kind of overcorrected a little bit and went too far in this one direction. I would, I would recommend, or if I could go backwards, I wouldn't have done it that way. Uh, not really. Right. Like, so I did sort of, I didn't have the best clarity in my viewing of, of the situations at the time, but I don't think my actions were like wrong. So like I would have acted the same way, but I wouldn't have thought like, oh, I'm cutting these friends out forever, potentially. Like I would have just recognized I need a break. I see their value. I did see their value, but I didn't hold it as clearly in my mind. Mm -hmm. And then the one potential is like the way I treated my mom for a certain amount of time. But that wasn't uh, that wasn't a matter of um, like getting away. It was sort of psychological processing that had to happen anyways. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, so like, maybe there would have been a slightly better way to do it, but it was going to happen. And so it, then it did happen. Right. But that's more so about specific, like psychological processing and like the parent child relationship is so deep. Right. That, um, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't really think that there's anything I would have done, uh, you know, substantively differently. For me, the only, the only thing I would have done a little differently is, um, and it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it's not wrong if you do it. Like it happens very often, which is like when you try changing something, you might try overcorrecting in one direction. And I found when I was seeking my own independence away from friend groups or, or independence from the way people thought of me, I would often overcorrect in the opposite direction. So what that would mean is like, um, if I wanted to be taken more seriously, I would always be serious, right? Being like, like, I know what it's like if people just stop taking me seriously. It's a slippery slope. Like I just need to be serious. And I took it too far where I was like, no, like I'm a guy who likes to laugh. I'm like, like, you know, like that kind of thing. And don't let go of those things. And especially when you jump into a brand new group, you can decide the framework and the way you want to be treated. So don't set it up in a way where now you're just an opposite, another version of yourself that you don't want to be. Right. And that, that happened to me a few times where I look back and said like, wow, man, like, I wanted to be taken more seriously or, or I wanted to have friends who talked about things that were like, like very, very, or, or were serious most of the time. But I realized like, okay, like now I have the complete opposite where before I was having fun all the time and now I'm not having fun at all. Right. And so it's like, it, it, I find this is a really easy play to place to apply like all or nothing thinking. Um, and I would try to be mindful of that and try to limit that as much as possible. Knowing full well that, of course, when, when I notice myself getting really excited and I'll overcorrect on a lot of things, but um, so you're not wrong, but tried to try to be like, I would, if I could go back, I would tell myself, be more mindful of where you might be um, overcorrecting in, in places that you shouldn't be. Cool. Do you have uh, any other last thoughts on uh, Stockholm Syndrome? I do not. Uh, me neither. I think uh, to wrap it all up is, you know, go forth and <laughs> find the group that you want to spend your time with. Because you're not stuck as, as, as badly as you think you are.